Welcome to The Critical Thought. In our upcoming episode, we have a guest who will share his journey of leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses. But one day, they come, uh, I hear a knock at the door. I thought it was my younger bro- youngest brother because he was staying with us. So I, I'm with my wife on the phone and I just opened the door. Two brothers right there, elders. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm not, I don't want to talk to these people, you know. One of them tried to force himself inside the, uh, the apartment. We stopped even cleaning the front of the door of our apartment. Uh, there were all leaves and whatnot, so it would look like nobody lived there. So we went through all these kind of things. And I know like some, some people said, yeah, why, why just you know, write the letter of this association and whatnot? And I didn't want them to give them the satisfaction of reading, of telling my name in front of the people. Ephraim will share his experience that will make you laugh and almost make you cry. Never would one ever imagine that they would have to run from the elders. Ephraim is also an activist. I have a, a YouTube channel called Oasis Ex Testigos de Jehovah, and that's where I do my activism. I was invited to an interview with Barbara Anderson. So after that interview, Rick, who is the one who runs the channel of Six Screens of the Watchtower, he asked me to do a segment every two Saturdays for one hour in Spanish because they needed people that spoke Spanish and to target the Spanish speaking audience. So you will, you can see me there four o'clock central time for one hour, right before Barbara Anderson's podcast show, Barbara Anderson's tells all. And mostly it's me talking to other people in Spanish, interviewing them so that they could share their stories. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. So Ephraim, we're so glad to have you back and sharing your own personal experience about, you know, being part of this group known as Jehovah's Witnesses. And we're just going to kind of chit chat a little bit about your experiences throughout the years and and the changes that you've seen throughout. But you might want to start a little bit about, you know, you know, about your your entering into this religion one kind of tell okay. us a little bit about that okay okay it's always nice to be here with you guys talking so yeah um i who i come from a catholic background so yeah my 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 father he was never a religious person um he was basically an atheist but uh he never spoke about it he mentioned it only once to me and um my mom it, it was the first person who was really uh, a Catholic, but she started studying, I would say around 1984. She kind of felt like, felt like the Catholic church wasn't doing enough spiritually for her. And by 1986, it's when I started studying, uh, too. And the funny thing is that my mom tried to force me into going to the kingdom hall. And that was because of the brothers, you know, how they are, that they were just going ahead and said, no, you have, if you're the mom, you have to bring your children to the hall. But I, I was around 14 years old and I said, no, I'm not going. And so, uh, and I even told her, if you want me to go, you better get a back and just knock me out because I'm not going to go unless I'm unconscious. But one day I was bored and I just sat down to study with my other brother who was studying with this guy from the uh, from the Kingdom Hall. Back then it was the Live Forever book. And 
I just kept on studying and I was very attracted to the prophecies. That's what really attracted me into the witness organization. I was a geek. I, I was attracted by things like Dungeons and Dragons, mysteries, Sherlock Holmes and whatnot. So when I'm reading all these things about 1914 and uh, the seven times, uh, 360 days and doing math, it was kind of like a puzzle for me. So that, uh, even though people, most people will say, ah, oh, that's kind of convoluted, which is it, it is, but it attracted me to, into the, that's how they duped me in. And by 1988, that's when I get baptized. Enjoy, enjoy those points. Let me ask you something, because you mentioned about the prophecies. Uh, we're talking about the times and the half of times. How do you feel as you look at how heavy they were in prophecies that caught your attention to where we actually are today, where they're like, we don't even do the, you know, the, the prophecies thing anymore. What do you think of that? Well, basically, that's what got me out. Because it is so different how it was back then and how is it is now. Because back then, everything was about prophecies. Everything. And we're talking about the types, the anti-types. Any witness that is that uh, started inside the organization uh, after 2000, if you talk about types, anti-types, and all this kind of stuff, they're going to say those are apostate lies, most likely. They have no idea that every single thing in the Bible, every single thing in the Bible, will um, fulfill like some sort of prophecy in the future. Like, for example, even Abraham and Sarah. Abraham represented the Jehovah, and Sarah represented the, the uh, 144,000. And the same thing with uh, Isaac and uh, every single thing in the Bible represented something that was going to happen in the future. All of a sudden, I don't remember when what year it was, they just dropped it. No more yeah. types, no more anti-types, no more the saying that that thing represented this thing in the future. And all of those things that attracted me, they were taking it away. And so when in 1995, they come up and say, you know, now it's an overlapping generation. I'm like, what? Don't... I, I was mad. I was upset. And I, I remember that was in a circuit assembly. And there was uh, the circuit overseer back then, uh, Ronald Parking. And he went up the platform and he said, well, the organization, the society, that's how they call it back then. The yeah. society never said that the, the 1914 generation will not pass. He actually said those words. And I had the, the Live Forever book right there in my bag because I was a pioneer. I had my like 10 books inside my bag, uh, dragging around like 50 pounds on it. And so I just got up. I wish I, now that I would, would have just got in my car, left and never turned back. But I was so angry. I just got up. I talked to a couple of the pioneers of the, that were in my congregation. I said, did you just listen to this guy? Did he just say what I heard he said? But this is the thing. Back then, there was no internet. So that, I would have never been a witness if there was some internet. That's simple as that. But there was no internet. 
and you did not know anything about the governing body. Uh, so when you listen to these type of people from the platform talk, you, your brain was wired in a way that you would separate them. You say, I'm pretty sure that that's what he said. But that's not what the society said. That's not what the the uh, the faithful and discreet slave said. So there was no way to just you know uh, confirm that information. You you would just put it back in the uh, in the back of your head and just brush it off. Well, wow. yeah, and so yeah, so you know, and so we're seeing the same thing. And be, and you know, like Ephraim, just listening to you talk, you know, it it was the 1914 teaching that woke us up, right? So uh, the Watchtower always hates people like us because we lived the lies that they're telling. We lived through those lies. And they're hoping that enough of us are old and are too old to be listened to. Like, oh, don't listen to that, that brother. He's too old to listen to him because he don't know what he's talking about. He's senile, you know. So they get the new people coming in. And the new people, yeah. they don't know nothing about that past history. And that's mm -hmm. why they don't really want to go back too far with the magazine. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, they yeah. changed the magazines because this yeah, is the thing. <laughs> because when I was already inside, they already got me. You know, I was brainwashed. I'm indoctrinated, and all of a sudden, I hear 1975. I'm like, what? What? What is this about 1975? And I even spoke to an elder who said, like I said, because I, you know that they say, oh, that was a misunderstanding, this and that. Oh yeah. So I immediately started to. To see if I could find that magazine. It took me a while. There's no internet back then. So yeah. it took me a while. And when you get the magazine, the magazine is on the bond volume and they already changed what they said because they would alter what they wrote. Now I spoke with this elder and I asked him like, oh, you from 1975? Because they were talking about it. I said, yeah. And I said, okay, so was that like a misunderstanding or were you really preaching? And he said, no, I was knocking on the doors telling everybody that 1975 was marked the end of times. That that was it. And once again, you are ready. Uh, not everybody would understand that unless you were a witness. But you just brush it off. Yeah. You, you, you just say, oh, oh really? And, and it, it kind of like it it sticks. But you're like, okay, okay. And you just brush it off. Right. That is so true. That is so true. Uh, every generation of witnesses brush off what the previous generation was taught, and nobody ever stopped to ask, wait, but, wait, but, but it was wrong. So what does that mean when you were teaching wrong doctrines? What, what, is, what does that mean? And uh, but yeah, I remember that that was uh, the 1980, the May 15, 1984 Watchtower. I was at Bethel, and they had the picture of all those older Bethelites who were not supposed to die, and of course. We know the that. generation that will not pass. The generation mm -hmm. that will not pass. And exactly. once again, the fact that there's no internet, because they're saying when we're back when in the 80s, we were the generation that will not pass. Just five minutes on the internet, and you know, and you will find out that they were talking about the people that were actually old during that time and that had already passed away years ago before I was starting to study the bible so i mean they have a way or had a way to move those uh flag hosts and just keep yeah. on like changing things but 
like oh, I, once again, I, I'm going to repeat it many times. The internet is what is going to be their undoing. Because yeah. just now, now you just yeah. five yeah. minutes and you're like, let me verify this. And you go like, yeah. wow. But you know what? Not only that, that's the yeah. reason why they were able to, you know, keep us from going to college and things like that. Because if you're living through this period of time and they're saying, hey, look, the end is coming. And so you can look ahead and say, well, I won't be graduating from high school. That's what I thought. I'm not even thinking about going to college. And so at that point, you're not even trying to prepare to take, you know, a college prep type classes. You're not even trying to be a good student, you know. And so at that point, you know, they really got a lot of us when we were coming through, you know, grade school, high school and things like that. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I, that's why I started to pioneer while I was still in high school. So I, st I honestly thought that. I was not going to graduate. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do my best to accelerate this preaching work so that the end will come. I ate it all up. All what they served, I will eat it up. And yeah. I remember clearly the day when I uh, graduated and just standing in the middle of my, uh, of my room, just looking around and say, thinking, where is the end? Where's the end? Where is yeah, the where end? Where is the end? And that is the first time that I, uh, when I, when you, you know, hindsight is 2020, uh, I, I, I think that was the time that I should have just said, you know what, talk to my mom, my brother said, I'm not going back. I'm going to college, but I didn't do that. Sadly, they, I mean, it's, it's sad, but I just stick, stuck to it. You know, that's, that's, that's so, that's so valid. I mean, the, the point you're making is, is just on point. Um, but let me ask you this question, because a lot of us, we became witnesses when we were very, very young, five, six, seven years old. Our parents got involved. What was it like for you at like 14 years of age? Because you done, you had all your all your friends. You've had friends you've been in school with, buddies, y'all ran together. What was it like to shift from being a regular kid to now being a Jehovah's Witness on Saturday morning with a briefcase and a little tie on? Well, um. Honestly, and uh, this is kind of a little bit weird. It wasn't that hard for me, okay? Because um, there were some things that I were seeing. I mean, uh, let me put it this way: there were some bad experiences in some of these what they the witnesses call worldly parties and whatnot. So, and I wouldn't. I had some uh, family member that will drink a little bit too much, and we went to these parties. And if you went to a party, uh, and you just stay a couple of hours and you go home, you would have a really nice time. But my family was the the, the type that will stay all the way until the end. Oh boy! And by when midnight hits, that's when troubles also hit and oh, yeah. so for a young person seeing all this stuff yeah. and i i was not into all that so it was easy for me to say you know what uh the witnesses are right because yeah. that i i'm i'm seeing their version of the, the story but it's not until later in time like decades later when you notice that okay this is not the truth and you compare and you do, you rewind the, the the movie and you see and you can compare the friends that you used to have that will give you unconditional love versus the ones that 
you had in the in the hall, that's when it hits. But back then, I was I was pretty young, so it, it wasn't that hard for me uh, to to do the transition. My youngest brother, on the other hand, it, it was hard for him because they were the, we were more social, and because of his age, there was not enough peers uh, in the hall that he could you know uh, relate to. So it was harder for him. You know, I think it's interesting what you said, uh, Ephraim, yeah. about how you were looking at your worldly family and how they stayed to the end of the party and how things went bad. And it's always those kind of experiences that the Watchtower tries to march out because we're never able to see the other side of the fence or the other side of issues. And that's why when we left, you know, I, I knew what all those issues and all those different sides of the fence look like. Because um, I did have friends that were not Jehovah's Witnesses. But the thing is, um, you are right what you're saying. Because I've seen all of that, what you're talking about. The bad parties and stuff in the family. So, um, you know, you, you do understand that. And because being minorities, and I hate to say it like this, but sometimes that's what we see more of than other people. And sometimes we don't get a chance to see the other side. And to see that, hey, look, these people got together and had clean fun. You know, and you, and the witnesses, they try to use that to their advantage. And that's the reason why they can go into a lot of the minority neighborhoods and clean out their book bags and bring a lot of people into the organization. Because some people are just living in the circumstances and they don't have the opportunity to live in the suburbs. So that this is all they see. And that's why you see so many African-Americans here in this country, United States, that are Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, yeah, and 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 and, and that not, not only that, um, because they know how to paint a picture, you know, and the, they will. The first thing that you study in the Live Forever book, one of the first things is that you're going to uh, get opposition, that the family members are going to start to tell you like, oh, you know, you don't want to be with these people, and that's just because that's Satan talking, because they know. Uh, Satan knows that that is the truth, and that is how you will identify us as the true religion, and that's exactly what happened. Because the, as soon as we start, my mom started studying. She got a visit from a couple of family members, and they got her for to stop studying for like a year or so. Then she started again, and I had teachers from school that they were like, and and it's not that they were saying stop studying the Bible. They were just warning me, like, there are going to be consequences if you get into that group. And even when I was an honor student. Wow. And, and I had all the scholarships ready to go to one of the best colleges in Puerto Rico. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to do it. And the, the of course, all these teachers are going to come up to me and say, look, you know, what's going on? You, and And this is the thing. You see it as opposition because that's how you are indoctrinated. But they didn't tell me, stop being a witness. They would sit to, they sat down with me and said, you can't be a witness and still go to college. You can still do the preaching work and you still can go to college. And mm -hmm. they call him my mom because my father, he, he was working. He was never involved with that kind of uh, decisions. Uh, so my mom went to school and my mom was like these hardcore fanatic witnesses and she would just 
like told him off. He's not going to college. Yeah, no, that stop it. You know, like the, that type of witness. And so, and they will tell me like, man, we tried to talk to your mom. <laughs> she was not happy, but sadly, uh, I did not go to college. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you made the point about your dad. I think there's an interesting commonality that flows through a lot of young Jehovah's Witness families, uh, especially when they have a father who is not a witness and their mother is. Historically and generally speaking, men don't get involved in the religious side of things. When you see a man who's into, into the religion, that's kind of unusual. I know in the African-American community, you have lots of uh, African-American women who will take their children to church. That's a very common thing. So I remember my dad, when the witnesses came by, it was very much like that. The same with my wife. Her, her dad was not very religious and, and my father was. It, it didn't really matter. And we've heard this same similar conversation you mentioned. Um, here's my question. What do you think it would have been like if our fathers had really known that they were allowing their children to become involved in something that would be making these, that would imp Because most people look at Jehovah's Witnesses as just another religion. Well, they're nice people. I see them there on the street. They're so nice. But they have no idea what, what flows behind. What do you think it would be like for so many Jehovah's Witness kids if their fathers, even though they were not witnesses, actually knew this is what your child is really getting into and the extent of the impact it's going to have on their lives? And we've, we, I've spoken this a lot with my brother. We, especially my brother, he would have wished that my father would have stepped in yeah. because he said like my brother, he, he never liked the witnesses. He is, uh, the one he was practically born in because uh, he was so little when my mom started to study. And, but we've spoken about this many times and it would have been a huge difference. Now, knowing myself, I would have, I wish that my father would have said, you know what? Um, I don't mind you being a witness, uh, doing all the preaching work or whatever, but bring me a college degree, you know, just bring me your diploma. After, besides that, I do not care. But back then I was so into the witness, uh, organization and so convinced that the end was just there that I, I might have just made arrangements and moved out that that's how hardcore I was and how convinced and brainwashed I was. But to answer your question, if the fathers were to get involved, it, it would have been, it would have saved a lot of us many, many heartaches. Yeah. Uh, we had in our congregation here in the DC area, there was a, a guy in our hall. Uh, his father was in the air force. He had three boys and his wife, Faithful sister, oh God, she, she, she's a pillar in the congregation. He requires, he says, I don't care what you do. Y'all go to that church y'all want to, but y'all going to go to college. Y'all going to school. And as a result, he, he made his kids go to school. He made them go to college. And so as a result of that, you know, these boys, I mean, it's just the reality. These boys was clocking $100,000 in the year 2000. And that, that would have been yeah, two, in the year. This is 2023. You know, this is the in, in the year 2000. These boys was clocking a hundred thousand dollars. Now, here's a kicker. Now, here's a kicker. This is what this, this is what really bothers me about this organization, man. Both of the, the these boys, these guys became elders. One, one of them was on the body with me. And, you know, he, he's sitting here, college degree, went to, went to one of the major colleges here in the D.C. area. 
got his degree. He's an elder. And so he he gets to ride both gravy trains. I'm an elder giving the talks at the assembly, but I'm also a college graduate. And I'm making 100 G a year. And then he was standing and tell all the young people, don't go to college. Don't go to college. Oh, I hate that. I hate oh, that. I know a God, lot of people man, that it, did that. I knew a lot of people, including some family members, that they went to college, they bought homes, they yes. traveled, they did all the good stuff. And then now they're saying, telling the the uh, the um, the young ones, don't go to college. Don't do this. Don't. I hated that. And this is the thing. Even if um, I having the the witness mentality. If I would have at least said, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice. Let me go ahead, go to college, get my degree, um, give as much as I can during the weekends and whatnot, and make this nice little nest of money and whatever. And then I could pioneer, but I don't have to worry about where the money is coming from. So if I had that mentality... Who knows if I will still be a witness, actually? Who knows? I mean, with yeah. the internet era, I know I'm not, I was going to wake up eventually. But like, uh, it, will, it will be a different mentality because now you're not struggling. And as a witness, as a pioneer, the pioneer group, we were always struggling with struggling. health issues, mental issues, emotional issues, the money, and especially the money. <laughs> I mean, we, I, I had a part-time job that paid me $30 a week. That, that, that's what I had. I was living with my parents. And the good thing is that my father didn't just go ahead and threw me out because somebody else would have said, $30 a week? You want to go preaching? Get out. But he said, well, he, he allowed it. I, I think that's where the cognitive dissonance came in at with, mm -hmm. you know, the brothers who had these degrees, but they sat on the plat stood on the platform and told other people not to get their degree. So it was like the cognitive dissonance. And I think it was also, you got to say it like this as well, a lack of empathy because mm -hmm. they got through the system and they're able to take care of their families, but then they, they showed no empathy for the other people that were going to be struggling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, 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 and see, this is the cult. This goes back to what I always, always talk about. This is the culture of the organization. The, the, these elders who become, you know, financially well, doing well for themselves, they see nothing about their friends who are struggling. They, they, they rely on Jehovah. Well, you got a law degree, man. Come on. <laughs> I mean, how much God, with a law degree, how much relying on God are you for your money every month, as opposed to somebody who's working down at Piggly Wiggly or, or working at, you know, the, you know Superfood? You know, so, but but this is the way the organization is structured. And like you said, you're pawning, you're making $30 a week. And yet, the ironic thing is, you are being praised and celebrated. And so you begin to, to settle into this position that you're in that, well, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Jehovah's providing. You know, my wife and I, we often talk about, you know, and I know myself, you know, I was, it was ingrained in me very deeply. Sustenance and covering. Sustenance and covering. Can you make your meetings? Do you have something to eat? Do you have clothes on? Do you have a roof over your head? Then be content. And so you never really kind of strive for anything more than that. And it, and it impacts you throughout your entire life many times. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's, and it's, and it's like you sad. said, you you get celebrated because I was the, one of those people that were on all, all these assemblies, being interviewed. 
and telling, oh, and I'm sharing how happy I was. While in truth, I was really depressed. I mean, that yeah. we were a group of like 20 something pioneers at one point. Everybody was depressed there, but they would parade us uh, in, in assemblies and all these uh, events. And we had to say how happy we were. And I remember that um, when they would tell you like, okay, so you're going to answer this question, how Jehovah has blessed you. And it took me, that was one of the hardest questions that I had to answer. I was like, hmm, how has Jehovah blessed me? And I will always come up with, well, I have 10 Bible studies and um, I preach a hundred hours a month or that and that's that's how you, the, the only thing that you could present to the table because i i could not say well i got a good job uh jehovah blessed me with a uh, higher education uh he blessed me that i have a brand new house no it's always uh like okay now i got someone i i helped somebody got baptized um i'm gonna be working in bethel soon so those were the blessings and uh and one funny thing about those interviews is that you many many times you see that brother says okay and i was i got the situation because they will make you say like a, what situation you were in and how jehovah helped you and they say oh and this bible text came to mind bull crap nobody they because when they told me that and i said well no bible uh, text came to mind i would just i just prayed to jehovah and said no no brother you got to come up with a Bible text. So, and if I didn't come up, they will say, okay, so this is the one that you thought back then, and this is the one you're going to read. So, and I would just go ahead and, okay, just memorize it and say, okay, and this Bible text came to mind and read it uh, in front of a thousand people in the, uh, in the circuit assembly. But so it's how fixed everything is. So Ephraim, you never thought anything at that time while that was going on about the way they're trying to, um, you know, set up the statements that you're going to make so that you could go out there and encourage other people to do the same thing that you were doing? That's a really good question. And that, and this is the thing. Uh, you see it as the human factor because I, it comes to a point in when you separate the man from the organization. And it was JT who said in one video, the moment you are convinced that this is the truth, it's really hard to back from that because now you see their organization as really something from Jehovah and whatever mistake is human mistake. It, that, that was not Jehovah's mistake. That was a human mistake. They, uh, if they, you see somebody doing something wrong, you say, oh, just leave it in Jehovah's hands. He, he, he will take care of it eventually. But it, it, it takes a while before so that you can deprogram yourself. And see, like, no, no, no. There's no separation between organization and human. This is a human organization, and, and not a good one at that. Yeah. You know what I'm kind of thinking about what you were saying about your blessings that you got, and I got more Bible studies, and I got, you know, I'm gonna go to work at Bethel and different things like that. But it seems like they kind of like, you know, made us feel like all the blessings that we got that really benefited the organization were our personal blessings, but those were really um, points that they were able to get. 
because getting more people baptized did not do anything for us per se. Didn't do anything for our bottom line, but it gave more people to go out and preach for them to bring more people in. So there's your multi-level marketing, you know, uh, effect right there. So really, we were just pawns in a scheme that they had, you know, because when you think about it, we didn't have any blessings. Like you said, you were poor, you know, thirty dollars. No, definitely not. You know, if 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 you, I, I remember, I I just saw uh, somebody had a um, it was a it was a um video I was watching the other day, and this man said his son didn't want to work, and he was eighteen years old, and he said that the son, he was getting up to go to work at six o'clock in the morning. The father was. And the son thought he was going to stay home and be at home while the father was at work. So he said, I'll tell you what. He said, at 6 o'clock, he said, I'm leaving out the house right now. He said, and you're going somewhere, but you're not going to stay here. And he made his son get up, leave the house, and he could not come back home until the father returned from his job. So I see what you're saying about, you know, your father could have told you to leave for not wanting to work and bring money in. Yeah, he could have. Not, and you mentioned that about that. Just gave me like a little bit of PTSD because back when I was in high school, at five o'clock in the morning, I was out on service. I was preaching at that time. I would get up, hitchhike to uh, an area close to uh, where my high school was, dressed um, with you know my tie and whatnot, and preach to the different businesses that were opening up at that time. Because back then you don't stand in a corner with a cart. That was that was frowned upon. Oh, so like the, the, that was not preaching. And it's not preaching. Uh, that's not preaching. You have to actively go to a person and talk to them. So I would do that, then get get into my uh, school uniform, go to school, then go back home, change again into the preaching work uniform, and then go back because I was a regular pioneer, and back then was a thousand hours a a year, so yep. that was my routine. What about the kids in your class? Did you did you like you know preach to them quite a bit? I mean, because because you because you're talking about getting up at five o'clock in the morning and then going to go preach to the business people, but why didn't you just use your your school as your as your uh, field? Well, I turned to Bible studies there. <laughs> I had Bible (laughs) studies. And actually, one of them, um, even though she never got to be a witness, but it kind of stuck with her for many, many, many years. And it wasn't until a couple of months ago that she contacted me because she was kind of a a, a pomey without being ever associated with the witnesses besides studying with me while we were at high school. Because in a way, she always thought that if she were to go into a religious organization, it would be the witnesses. So when she sees my activism work, she goes, she called me and she said like, what's going on? And I just told her like, no, no, this is how this really works. And she was like, wow. So I woke up somebody who wasn't even asleep yet, right before yeah. she got in. <laughs> well, let me ask you this then, Ephraim, you said you brought a lot of people into the organization. Um, do you have their do do you still have their contact information where you could possibly, you know, reach out to people and let them know that you are an activist and all that? Or um, is that no, gonna just not I, work for you? You know, I only know I I only have one contact that I if I were to call him, uh I I, I don't know if I'm blocked uh by his, uh, his phone number <laughs> because I yeah. know he blocked me from everything else. 
So oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a there's a chance that he also blocked his phone number, but that will be the only person that I would know how to contact, because the other okay. ones I I don't know. And actually, um, I I don't even know if they're still in or not, unless yeah. they were to go ahead and contact me. But um, I'm trying to think if at least one of them, because I I brought into the organization around ten people. Okay. Oh wow. Oh my goodness. Which is a lot. It is. A, that is a tremendous amount. That is a tremendous amount of and, people. And that is why I do the activism. Yeah. That is why I do the activism because honestly, uh, I, I have had people that, that have said like, why won't you just, you know, quietly fade away? Why do you have to make so much noise, etc.?" And it's like, look, I brought people into this organization and this is not, it, it is, a, an organization that destroys families, just destroys lives. Uh, many people have lost their lives because of this organization. It is a criminal organization that cover up crimes. And I brought people in. So I feel the responsibility to speak out and yeah. get us. If I could get all the people that I got in out, I would. That's a very true statement. I, I know that for myself, um, that's kind of one of the things that, that kind of impacted me. I, I, I remember, you know, just over the years, you know, you would give talks in congregations and people would come up to me and they would say, um, but Brother JT, I'm, I'm so glad I came to the meeting today. That, that, talk, that, that, that talk really helped me. And, and, and so as I look back now, I know that there were people that I literally impacted to stay. You know, and so the yeah. least that I can do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know. I, I mean, I remember, I mean, we, me and Lady C, we would be at the at the meeting. We visit the congregation and people come up to us and they would just stay. I mean, I remember people because we often try, I often try to make my talks very, very personable. And and people would come and say, we needed that in this hall. I'm, my son, I brought my son today. I was, I, he didn't want to come. He just told me, go ahead and tell J, Brother JT what you said. Brother JT, I'm glad I came. I, I you know. And so I, I know the impact that I had on people's lives. And man, at least, like you said, at least, you know, we, we can try to pay. And that's what me and my wife try to, we, we at least try to pay it forward, you know, pay it forward. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting how you were talking about, you want, you, you're doing your activism and everything. Well, during the, when we first started doing our activism and we ran across one person that said that when they learned that this wasn't the truth, they got their uh, call book and they started going house to house, to unwitness. And so all of their Bible studies and return visits, they started going to them and letting them know that they're no longer a Jehovah's Witness and this is not the truth and all of that, just to kind of unwitness to the people that they were actually trying to witness to when they thought this was the truth. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's why we was, do. That was, a, that was an amazing experience. <laughs> yeah, that, that is amazing. Because when I, my first video on John Ledger's channel came out, um, he was uh, back then XJW Analyzer. So when it came out, I just, uh, I didn't think anybody's going to see it. I just made, did it to, it was like therapy for me, you know, not like, just like get it out. And I, and since his channel was small, I said, you know what, I'll just put it there let him go and maybe if somebody like goes and starts looking at for searching for uh, xjw stuff on youtube they might stumble upon it know me 
and try to get in contact with me and we could just hear in secret, you know, talk about it and whatnot. Boy, when that video almost hit a million views, I'm like, oh dear God, this is not good. How did I and, that video? I don't remember seeing that video. Yeah, <laughs> this that, is I'm, not uh, good. This is not good. I know you're yeah, kidding me. Is it still out there? He took the videos down at one point. Now he put okay. them back up. Oh, he oh, put good. on just a couple of them. Like my interview is up again. But the video that hit uh, the million, almost hit the million views was the Spanish version because I did two. The English version, it kept down in the low 10,000, like 20, 30,000. But oh, the Spanish God. one was the one that. And of course, that's where everybody know you from. <laughs> and exactly. So when that came out uh and it exploded in one weekend we lost oh all our family God. and all our friends we lost everybody um we got blocked i, I, I just man. woke up one day and i saw like my facebook page all my friends went like boom, all the way down and i started looking around and then I started getting the phone calls and text messages and my wife also is like, oh dear God, this is this is not good because I, I didn't want it to be that explosive. But um the the my the video he allowed me to copy it and put it in my channel. So it's there to view too. Okay, I'll check that it out over amazing. there. That's that that's just that that's just amazing, man. I just had no idea. And this, I didn't to this day, it. we're trying to pinpoint who was the first person who saw it, because obviously it was a Jehovah's Witness who saw it, knew me, and just told everybody about it. And um, the reaction was just, it was a tsunami of hatred and hurt. Uh, my wife uh, got so many nasty emails, I mean, not emails, text messages telling her that she was the daughter of Satan and all, I mean, all, all, all sort of things. And at one point she broke down uh, while she was at work. She's a postal service worker. So she was out delivering phone um, mail and I received a phone call. I was at my job and she says, you better hurry up to where I am right now. And I don't guarantee you're going to see, you're going to find me alive. So I had to just drop everything and I didn't even tell my supervisor, I just took off. And I, when I got there, the, they already, she was already on the way to the hospital, like ambulances, fire trucks, police officers, everybody was there because she also called a coworker and he like took care of the situation back um, um, behind the curtain, you know? So it, they got to her on time and took care of her. She had to stay home like for a month before going back to work, but it was pretty ugly. And her family, her Jehovah's Witness family, the first thing that they said to her was, we're going to send you a plane ticket so you could leave your husband and come back to Puerto Rico. And they didn't care like, okay, this is a, uh, we've been 16 years together. They, they don't care. It's like, so no. it, it, had she listened to them, uh, she just, we, we, we would have been separated right then and there. So, and my, we had some personal stuff still at my um, in-laws house. And somebody told me like, look, he, he started to throw things away in the garbage. And um, 
and some of them were like collector's items that I had. And that, so I, my wife, I told my wife and she called him and said, no, 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 just take it to my, uh, to my mom's house. So he said, just, just take it to um, Ephraim's mom's house, take everything there if you don't want them. Because you know that one of the things will be out of spite. And another thing is that Jehovah's Witnesses believe that because now I will, I'm a, an apostate, anything that will be my possession could be, could be possibly possessed by demons. So they want to get rid of that as soon as possible. That's the way the Jehovah's Witnesses think. And we had friends from 30 plus years that we were in all their weddings. My wife, would, you know how many diapers she changed from all these kids that they, we saw grow up. Everybody to this day cut off just like that. Not one of them will even give us the opportunity to talk to us. Because and I, I put myself in their situation and I I would at least say, you know, uh, JT, uh, what's going on? I mean, we've been friends for so long. I just want to know how you think. Why do you think the way you think? And then uh, they say JT will explain to me. And I had two options. I would say, you know what? I understand what you're saying. But, you know, from now on, you know, I love you but we're not going to be able to be in contact anymore. But at least I had the opportunity to listen to you. I was not given the opportunity. They just cut me off like nothing, like nothing. Family members to this day, I have not heard from any of my witness family members, not even when my father died last year. Um, it's been one year since my father passed away. And I even have a video on my channel talking about that. Because not one of my family members, not even a text message saying, you know what, we're sorry that uh, to hear that your father died. And we're talking about a family that was really uh, close. So we, every, all of these people, my cousins, uh, aunt, aunt, uncles, we would celebrate things together. Well, we, there were very, a lot of family get together. So we were close. Not one of them so will just say, not even a text message. You know, we cannot talk, but I'm sorry for your loss. Not even that. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your uh, father, Ephraim. And I totally understand what you're going through because when my mother passed, it'll be two years in January. And my family was close as well. And I actually sent the obituary to family members just because I just said, you know, it was my mother's sister and it was um, my, my mother's sister's daughters that we were all, all of us were close together. And these particular daughters are not even Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not even baptized. So I mailed them the obituary because we had her uh, services online and I had obituaries printed up anyway. And I sent it to everybody that couldn't be there. You know, it was all online. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I put a letter in there. I put my phone number, my father's number. We never heard one word from anybody, not even saying, you know, they called my sister, who's not a witness. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. Blah blah. blah. They did not one person call me about my mom. Let me let me double click on this thing real quick. Um, I did have two. I think two cousins may have talked to me. One of my cousins, she follows us on on XJW Critical Thinker, so I got to give her credit for that. But so like one or two family members, but they're not practicing witnesses anymore. You know, I had to make sure I said that. It's so sad. I mean, and, and as I said, I'm, I, 
the family was very close. And that reminds me because we were talking about changes that go throughout the years. I remember before we were witnesses that at least on Thanksgiving's day, even the witnesses would be there. We would celebrate it all together because back then it was not, it, it was not prohibited. The, and even my uncle, the elder, he was the one who did the prayer. You know, that, oh, let's thanks for it. And I remember that happening. And all of a sudden, another change. Not even Thanksgiving. You cannot celebrate. And it, in our congregation, it was, they were uh, went as far as you're not supposed to eat turkey that day either. So if you're going to eat turkey, it has to be Wednesday or Friday, but not Thursday. Not that Thanksgiving. You know, even when you, your life experience uh, always reflects day-to-day -day living of being a Jehovah's Witness. But one of the things that we all know is that this organization makes a lot of changes. As you look back now, what did you see in terms of changes that kind of stood out for you and, and, and grasped you and said, this is this is ridiculous? Oh, yeah. Um, besides, of course, the uh, overlapping generations this is the one that I found the most idiotic of all. But you guys remember the, the Revelation book. That book will discuss text by text all the verses of Revelation. And they went, I mean, I remember it that like um, the trump, the, the, the sounding of the trumpets that they would uh, represent either as some assembly at Cedar Point, Ohio, and all these stuff, all these, when you see it today, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, it is insane. But back then, they not only doubled down, they tripled down. We studied that book like five times. And um, at the end, each time that they we would study it, we had a, a little uh, page from the kingdom ministry with changes on it. And those things kind of bothered me because it was like, okay, what you convinced me that this was the truth right here. I ate it up. I mean, I bought it. And now it's changing and it continues to change. And it comes to a point that right now that that's old light. The, the spiritual fruit from the, uh, the Jehovah's Witness, um, it has an expiration date and it was gone. So all, all of those changes bothered me and it helped me wake up because the religion that I went into is not the one that it is today. And sadly, if you want to stick to it, if you're not saying, you know what? This is what you taught me. This is what I was, this is how you convinced me. I'm gonna stick to these, these beliefs and these teachings. You will get a call in the back uh, room and you will be judged for apostasy. There'll be a judicial committee, and most likely you you will just be up on uh, this fellowship. So uh, so all all of those changes really 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 bothered me, and it helped me wake up. Oh yeah, the Revelation book was 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 crazy. Um, to think that we accepted that a convention that was held in Cedar Point, Ohio, was something that the Apostle John was writing when he was on the island of Patmos. When I look back at that now, it was like they could literally feed us anything and we accepted it and then of course as you made the point 
they simply produce the watchtower that says we're no longer doing types and any types it's over with all those we did in the past you can throw them away there was just some ideas that fred franz came up with and we and we sold it to y'all guys and that's really what it was that's and all it really thing. was there's another thing right now that i remembered um those teachings were so crazy that i even i almost got in trouble for teaching something that was in that book because i remember that i was uh, out in service with this sister from the congregation and i was talking about that we were talking about 1914 and that that's when the world war one uh came and started but at the same time that's when uh the war in heaven started and jesus started you know cleaning heavens and uh, casting all the demons and uh, Satan back to earth and there's this small paragraph or a little chart or something that shows that the heaven the heavenly war lasted all the way to 1919. so and i i, I believe that ex it explains that during some, that time that they don't know when but well, during those years, Satan was cast down because it was a four-year war. So I'm explaining that to the household. Uh, I don't know if it was a Bible study. I don't remember who it was. But I'm explaining that to them. And the sister went up and said, you know, he talk, she talked to the people in charge. He said, you know, Ephraim, is. I think he lost it. He's teaching this and this and he's saying that there was a four-year war up there in the heavens and you me and i had a talk they they, they talked to me and said well, what are you talking about i had to bring out the book and say didn't we just study this look at it right here and they were they were like hmm so even to them it sounded crazy and and that's the thing that jehovah's witness they, they don't even realize sometimes we go into autopilot we are in the meetings. Uh, we were in the meetings. We were listened to this, but it was just, you're a zombie. You don't even remember studying that. To the point that the there was this book, um, uh, World Security, The Princess of Peace or something like that. Oh, yep. Worldwide Security Under the Prince of Peace? Yeah. That book teaches that jo Jesus is not, the mediator between yeah. God and men, only between God and the 144,000. Yeah. It wasn't until I woke up that, and I remember that we studied that book and mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't remember studying that paragraph. I'm like, that's what we thought. Do you know that's the first book I read from cover to cover? I was so proud of myself. I read that book. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's so crazy because listening to what you said, why would you need to have a spiritual warfare for four years, four years and you got God Almighty against one of his creation? That don't even make no sense. It don't it's make like, any sense. You know what I'm but, saying? It's crazy. But back, back then, the DN, the Dungeons and Dragons geek in me kind of like all those dragons <laughs> and all that idea of rolling dice and, you know, battling dragons and seven-headed dragons and ten horns and whatnot so and i'm and now that's that's that could be considered an apostate book oh i was talking to yep. that to a friend of mine a former friend of mine just before my video was discovered that it came out and and i i, I told her that i said do you know that if we are caught with all these old literatures we could be 
brought up in charges of apostasy. Yeah. So it, that did not make sense to me at mm, all. Mm, mm. I got a question yeah. for you. Okay, so now, Ephraim, wow. you you told a really interesting story about how you went out on a YouTube channel, told your story, and didn't expect to get those many views and get all this backlash and stuff like that. So I got a twofold question. Were you ready for that to happen? And if you had to do it all over again, how would you proceed? To answer your question, the the bit I think the one mistake I made was I did not tell my wife about the video. That was that that was now to to answer your question on how things might have been gone differently. She did not know about the video. Wow. So when that came out, that was part of the issue. So she was caught by surprise. But once again, I did not think the video was going to be seen. So I did not count on that. And um, so probably if I go back, I could go back in time and say, okay, let, let's let's do let's, let's do it a different way. I would have first uh, told her about this. The, this is this video is going to go out. Second, uh, we we should have had our social network stronger outside of the witnesses before that, because what saved her was that at least we had some friends outside and it was a good thing that it grew like very quickly. And she relied on that group so heavily because my wife is a social uh, person, like a really, really social person. You know, uh, I'm, I'm more like a house person. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm social too, but I could be at home watching TV, um, I don't know, going on the internet, playing video games, reading a book, whatever. She needs to be uh, around people. So uh, at her work, she got a lot of support from her peers. And we started doing like some guys, like some parties and whatnot. And uh, her birthday came around the corner. So we, she said, you know what, let's celebrate my birthday. And she had like 50, 60 people that came over. And that's, that, that's the things that helped her so if i were to do things differently i i should have like get the social network stronger and i should have told her about the video before it came out let me ask you this question because I, I i i i'm trying to make sure i got the timeline right when you had this video release were y'all still active witnesses or were y'all inactive were y'all disfellowship what was your stat with the night that that video was released what was y'all guys status Okay, so it was like the perfect timing because during uh, that was in 2018, I was working um, at a place that required me to be there seven days a week. My wife just started as a postal service worker and she was working seven days a week. So we had the perfect excuse like we're not going to the meetings because we are at work. It worked. So we're at work. And, and I said, you know, uh, this is temporary. You know, you give all the excuses to the elders and whatnot. He said, no, no, this is just a couple of months because uh, we're in, in the open enrollment season. And my wife said, oh, no, this is just temporary. You know, uh, as soon as a couple of months go by, they're going to switch my thing and whatever. So we were not going to the meetings at all. And 
either way, we not we they didn't see us out at service or anything because we were just fudging numbers. Where they will call us, say, "Hey, brother, did you preach this month?" Yeah, two uh, two hours, a uh, a couple of magazines, uh, uh, this this and that, and we'll just make it up at, right there. So we we were completely outside. So it, it was it, it it was an easy transition by then. Now that was in eighteen. Uh, February 2019, and the video was out like by November. It was out, so it co- it took a couple of months before it exploded. By February, we even went to Puerto Rico. We were at a wedding, and uh, I was the uh, how you call it the person who talks in front, you know, the um, master uh, ceremonies. Yeah, in the wedding. Oh, you the MC. Yeah, oh, yeah. You're the corner. You're the corner. <laughs> so, and uh, so we had all the sorts of fun and whatnot. When we came back from Puerto Rico, we came back on, I think it was Wednesday. By Thursday, everybody knew. And by f- Sunday, we had no friends and no family. Oh so my God. that's all how it happened. Now, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, of course, the elders uh, immediately start like you know, texting. Hey, uh, brother, uh, it's, it's been a while since we've talked to you. We just want to see how you guys are doing. Um, nothing about hey, I watched a video. Nothing about that. Oh, we just want to talk. You know, give us a call. Yeah, yeah, right. Click. So, and I never pick up the phone, but one day. They come, uh, I hear a knock at the door. I thought it was my younger bro- youngest brother because he was staying with us. So I, I, I'm, I'm with my wife at the, uh, on the phone and I just opened the door. Two brothers right there, elders. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm not, I don't want to talk to these people, you know? So I said, you know what? Uh, my, I have to uh, pick up my wife. She's at work. So I, I have her on the phone right now completely made up. I just, you know, th- th- made that up right there. And, and to know, it, it, this is going to take only 15 minutes. And they, one of them tried to force himself inside the, uh, the apartment. I had to like, say, you know, oh, hey, I already told you, 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 we got to make arrangements for some other day. So call me tomorrow and we'll make arrangements. Yeah. He called me the next day, but I didn't pick up. So uh, they they just kept on this uh, harassment, uh, the, and they would go up at even at ten o'clock at night, mm-hmm. and just bang on the door, yelling, "Hey, open the door!" You know. And we were we had there was a point that we had to. The, this was our apartment right here, so we would go all the way around, the, because there was some trees and whatnot, so we could look behind the trees to see if they were there waiting for us before we go in. And this this kept on for two years, for two years. Every and this is the, the thing, you know that it was a circuit overseer, yes, because yeah. because it was every six months. Yeah, they would be like for a week, just all the phone calls, text messages, banging on our door. We would not hear from them again until six months afterwards, yeah. for an entire two years, and then they came. Of course, they did the. Uh, certified letters. Certified letter, yeah. But That's we just returned it. I was going to say, when did they send the certified letter? 
Yeah. Yeah, they send the certified letters, but my wife worked at the postal service, so she coded it as these people don't live here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and we return it to them. <laughs> we we even we stopped even cleaning on the front of the door of our apartment that there were all leaves and whatnot, so it would look like nobody lived there. So we went through all the do, doing all these kind of things. And I know like some some people said, yeah, why, why just you know, write the letter of this association and whatnot. And uh, the purpose was, I mean, I didn't want them to give them the satisfaction of reading, of telling my name in front of the people. So same with us. We're like, I ain't, I, I, I've always said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste the paper, ink, or stamp to send because it's, it's bogus. And I'm like, yeah, this, this is actually yeah. part of their. This is part of their program. I don't participate in your program no more. There is no such thing as disassociation in my world. So that's your that's your Mickey Mouse game that you play. Oh, that is that is so crazy. So did they ever disfellowship y'all? They never got in contact with me. So they 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 and this is the thing. During that time, even not so long ago, we got we bumped into some witnesses and they will talk to us. So we're like, hey, how are you doing? Whatever. And I said, yeah, yeah, we moved, you know, and we will just talk. I didn't I didn't say, oh, we're not witnesses anymore. I, I just I, I just wanted to see how their reaction was, you know, and it was like nothing, even though I had a beard. And, and this was even the COVID was still uh, on. So we had our masks on, but I took my mask off so that they could purposely see the beard because I just wanted to see their reaction. And I, I'm like, you know, what I'm going to do. And who knows? Maybe they would say, hey, uh, we're not going back to the Kingdom Hall, you know, right now. Maybe that seeing the beard will, if they're not there anymore, I don't know. But so we never thought that we were this fellowship at all. But last year, when uh, during my father's wake, uh, my brother, who serves as an elder in Chile, so he he said, like, uh, do you know your status inside the organization? And I said, like, no. He said, well. You, you're this fellowship. I said, well, nobody told me. And he said, yeah, 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 you're this fellowship. And I said, but I bumped into brothers and sisters and uh, and they talked to us like nothing happened. And he says, nobody knows. That was weird to me. So how did that work? I don't know. But according to him, I'm this fellowship, but nobody knows. It's kind of weird. Only in this organization. <laughs> well, you know, um, the, the the okay, so like we're not disfellowshipped either. And bottom yeah. line is, um, we might be, we might be, we don't know. <laughs> we, 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 <laughs> yeah, we, I never knew. <laughs> but so we're not formally this is disfellowship. Oh, that's right. We can't be disfellowship. I forgot. We yeah, can't be but, but the yeah, thing is, see, here's the thing. See, um, in Ephraim's case, they couldn't find a body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In our case, they couldn't find the record because our, record, our record. We, we, our records are no records out of the system. <laughs> I pull my records out of the system like that. And the, I mean, they, they, and some of them go to the lens because I, I don't know if they, I, I even don't know if they still have our records because I was going to talk to some lawyers to see if we could get our records, but the thing is that the congregation we were part of it got dissolved. 
So sometimes when they do all these moving around the records, things get lost. They get oh. lost. Because I know, I, I do, that's the thing. During When my video exploded, I got contacted by a lot of people. And uh, many, many people will either call me or email me, whatever, telling their stories, uh, saying, oh, thank you for sharing your story. That helped me, whatever. And one of them said that his tactic was that he went, he started moving from congregation to congregation, and he started to do it fast enough that it would, there was a point and that nobody knew where his records were anymore. And then that's when he stopped going to the meetings altogether. He said, they cannot do anything to me because they don't have my records anymore. So they, nobody knows where they're supposed to be. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, to me, and this is why I tell people all the time, this is the type of stuff that you have to use for yourself. For yourself to know that this is a confirmation that I was part of a high control group or a cult. When you have to do this type of foolish and stupid stuff, this this if you, when people say, "Well, I don't know, I think I might want to go back," this is the stuff that you need to reflect on mm -hmm. as to what you were part of. You had to do stuff like this to get out. Who does right. this? And when you tell your coworkers, your non-witness family, or just people you're talking to, they like, "You got to be kidding me, man! You got to be joking," because mm -hmm. no one can, no one has any reference point to ever having to deal with a church or a religion like this. This is this is Scientology level stuff. Well, you're running around hiding from the church folks. Yeah. You're running around hiding from the church folks. You couldn't, I could, if I were to tell the gals, well, I've told them and they, and they laughed at this, man, you crazy boy. But, 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 but everybody you tell who's not a witness, they realize this is foolish. This is yeah. foolish. And right. that's the thing, that reminds me of a story, like um, my wife's cousin, he used to be a witness, right? So he moved from Puerto Rico to Houston. And mm -hmm. so he he's working there in Houston. He, it's been like five, six years that he has put a foot in, in a kingdom hall. All of a sudden, he posts on his Facebook page, dressed in a Halloween costume. And he, he just he put it on Facebook. The elders from Puerto Rico call him saying that they have they they're gonna do a judicial committee and he has to travel back to Puerto Rico. He's like, are you crazy? Like, <laughs> are you gonna do what? Like, oh come on, stop wasting my time. So they they, they just fellowship him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know that's crazy. Oh, you, that's you crazy, that's man. <laughs> we need you back on Tuesday night. So that, I mean, who does that? Well, you know, Ephraim, that is really an amazing story. You know, we probably could just go on and on telling uh, experiences like this. But what we like to do is just really just say thank you, man, for helping us on the channel. And thank you for coming tonight and sharing your personal life experience with everyone this evening. Thank you for having me. And most importantly, we want to thank our audience this evening as well, because without you, we wouldn't be here. If you'd like to get more information and follow Ephraim and what he's doing in his space, especially in the Spanish community, we'll leave the information below. And as always, we encourage you to hit the like button. Be sure to share this with someone. And we thank you for the support you've given us. And this has been JT. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.